I want to thank Chip Howard for remembering to pray for me. Uh, Brian needs our prayers too. He's at Southwood and uh, doing the message that he did last week. So do, uh, do remember him in your prayers this morning. You know, I realized as I was uh, kind of preparing to, to share this morning that um, many of you, I guess, you know, your main encounter with our staff is, is here on Sunday morning in this, in this context. So you may not know me. Uh, my name is Pat Coyle and uh, my parents uh, have lived here. We lived here all our lives, uh, grew up at Grace Bible Church, um, went to San Antonio when I graduated from A&M. And um, met my wife, Jeannie, there. We came back in 1996 and uh, been here 15 years uh, since, since we came back. And it's, it's really been a joy to serve. I'm your, your missions and outreach pastor here at Grace. And, uh, well, thank you. <laughs> um, as I've served in that role uh, in missions and outreach, I get to be involved with our international student ministries. I see a number of faces of international students this morning. Um, it's really been uh, stirring in my heart, the preparation of this message today, and um, that became a little more profound uh, in, in April when my mom passed away. I think I'm going to get through this better than I did in the last service. <laughs> um, thank you for your prayers and your support of our family. It is, uh, it's good to be a part of this church family, and, and we really felt your love and, and your support. Um, as we watched my mom uh, transition from life to death and life anew, and uh, saw the confidence and the joy and the peace, uh, just the power of what was at work in her life as, as she really walked over. Um, the, the miracle and the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ has just never, never been more powerful and more profound in my life. And, and so we want to we talk about uh, the gospel this morning, and I just wanted you to know that it's, this has been stirring in me in a new way, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that some more as we, as we work through this. But um, I want to tell you a little story as we get started, and uh, this was a, a situation when uh, one of our international students, whom I met through the giveaway that's coming in August, be a part of the giveaway, save your things, come join us for the giveaway. It's a great opportunity to meet international students and, and to develop relationships with them. I met this young man through the giveaway. And uh, he was here as a uh, graduate student from Iran. And we had, we had lunch together at one point, just kind of had small talk at lunch. And he wanted to see what a church was like. And so we came by here and took him in the office. And I was passing by my assistant Bell's office. And I remember we had in there uh, some of the Jesus DVDs that have various languages on them. And his language was on there. So I gave him a, a copy of the, of the Jesus DVD. And a few weeks later, we were uh, getting together for coffee. And I, and I figured by this point, there would be some more curiosity about the difference in our faith and this conversation would open up. So I was prepared to share the gospel, much like we're going to talk about this morning. And we sat down for coffee and he says, so Pat, I understand that Christians believe that uh, we are all sinful and that um, all, all human beings are sinful and that Jesus died on the cross to take the penalty upon himself for our sins. And if we believe, or if, you, if one believes in that, then that person can know God and have everlasting life. <laughs> after I picked my jaw up, after, you know, we, he went on to ask his question and, and, uh, and the conversation went on. And he's still wrestling with these questions with me. We have a wonderful ongoing dialogue. But I, I had to stop him. I said, wait, wait, wait. How, how did you know that? And he said, well, the movie you gave me. And I was like, oh, okay. He said, yeah, I watched it three times. And he had really studied it and really, really, you know, taken it, uh, taken it seriously. Now, how many of you have sat down to share the gospel with someone and had them tell you the gospel? Okay, there's one. Not very many. It's, it's pretty rare. Has it happened often? Not very often. 
So when we think about the gospel, as we, as we consider this lesson, and we're, we're continuing in the study of the essentials, uh, as we look at this lesson, uh, it really is about, particularly for those of us who are, who are believers already, uh, it's about knowing and sharing the gospel. And so I really wanted to focus our time together on readiness to share the gospel. By the way, uh, here's the study. If you're kind of new to this, you've just been here maybe a week or so, we're studying through our Bible study, The Essentials. And there are copies of this available out in the foyer, and you can uh, get it online as well for free. Uh, We're in lesson three, which is uh, how can I be saved? So we're kind of continuing in that study, and and we're glad to have you join us in that. As we consider the issue of readiness to share the gospel, I thought of Romans 1. Why don't we turn there? Romans chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 15. Romans chapter 1, 15. So for my part, Paul says... I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul is talking about eagerness and unashamedness in sharing the gospel. And and I would ask the question, can we say with Paul, I'm eager and I'm not ashamed. Can everyone in the room say that? Or when it comes to sharing the gospel, is there a, a reticence? Is there a lack of eagerness? Is there a, a sense of shame or fear? Well, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about some ideas from this verse and from the life of Paul uh, that, that kind of help us address that. How can we be eager and unashamed of the gospel, as, as Paul said? And the first thing I would say is that uh, we need to appreciate and we need to own the significance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So it's powerful. The gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful. We talk about that, the power of God for salvation. When you think of the major religions of the world, except for biblical Christianity, and we even think of some forms of Christianity, some ways that Christianity is expressed, what's the power source that people turn to? It's human strength. It's being good enough. It's doing good deeds. All of the major religions of the world, every, every faith system in the world is about doing good things. Somehow uh, being, being uh, good enough to, to measure up and tip the scales in your favor. The Christian gospel is unique. Christianity alone relies on the strength of God, the power of God. And it it does so in in some very significant ways. First of all, the Christian gospel acknowledges our plight. Acknowledges our problem. What am I talking about that? If you go back to lesson one, a few weeks ago, we looked at God and who God is. We discovered, we studied that God is holy. He is perfect. He is pure. He is without blemish. He's light. And we're darkness. We're imperfect. And so we're incapable Of fellowship with him. We're incapable of having a relationship with him. Because of his perfection and our imperfection, there is not a way. What fellowship can light have with darkness? There's not a way for us to have that fellowship together. The Christian gospel acknowledges this problem. Most world religions kind of skirt around it. They think somehow maybe maybe we can be good enough. But it goes further than that. Christian gospel fully solves that problem. We talked in lesson two about Jesus Christ. We talked about the fact that he's fully man. And fully God. We don't have time to go into the Hebrews passages that are listed here. But uh, I want to encourage you to do that. They're in the lesson on Jesus Christ. And there's a question there about Jesus as our sacrifice. Being fully man. 
Uh, he was the most appropriate sacrifice. Bulls and lambs and goats of the sacrificial system were only temporary. They could only minimally cover over our sins for a period of time. Jesus Christ, being a human being, a man in the flesh, and taking, becoming the sacrifice on our, on, on our behalf was the appropriate sacrifice. And then being fully God, as we also looked at in lesson two, he was, he was the most effective and an infinite sacrifice. And the, the passage in Hebrews 9 there, be, you know, being God himself, uh, it, was, it was the most effective sacrifice possible. And it was more eternal. In other words, he's not a human priest going in day after day, as Hebrews 9 says, and offering sacrifices on behalf that only lasts for a certain period of time. He was the ultimate eternal fulfillment, the ultimate sacrifice, the infinite sacrifice. And the final thing that, that exemplifies the power of the gospel is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to look some more at that in a few minutes when we look at the gospel itself. But through the resurrection, Jesus Christ defeated death. And he also uh, brought about the power of the resurrection in us through his Holy Spirit. There's power for living in the life that is Jesus Christ because death no longer holds him. So the gospel is powerful. It's unique in its power. The power of God for salvation on our behalf. And the gospel is comprehensive. Paul says uh, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He's basically referring to the known world at that time. Everyone who believes can know God through faith in Jesus Christ. So the gospel is not culturally or behaviorally bound. Uh, many, many world religions are tied to a particular cultural norm or cultural standard. The gospel can move in with clarity and power to various cultural contexts, change lives, and those people through the power of the gospel can live out the good news of Jesus Christ and live out the good works that God desires uh, for us in, in, in a way that's unique. It's not bound or limited by any, any cultural norms or any cultural standards. So, in being eager and unashamed, in being uh, that, that way that Paul described himself, we need to understand and appreciate that significance, that uniqueness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we do, uh, our reticence to share that good news is greatly reduced. If it is that incredible, incredible good news, it's worth talking about. It's worth it that others should know. But there's this issue of being ashamed to tell or fearing the rejection of people. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, he doesn't really, in the passage there, go and give you antidotes to uh, uh, getting over the experiencing of, of rejection. So I wanted to look a little bit broader uh, in Paul's life and, and, and talk about a couple of things. First of all, as we do what we just talked about, as we believe and we own the significance and the uniqueness and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, again, that, that uh, fear of rejection... Uh, it, it is, and it, and it should be reduced. It, it is good news. And to tell others is good for others. And it's good for us. It's good for the whole world. A few weeks ago, uh, probably a couple of months ago, actually, we, we showed a video clip of uh, Penn Gillette. He's uh, one of the two in Penn and Teller, the comedy pair or whatever. Um, and uh, Penn Gillette is an atheist. And in the video that uh, we looked at, he, he made this statement. He said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell and that people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think it's not worth telling people this because it would make it socially awkward, I mean, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? Christians, are you listening to this atheist? How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize, to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? 
If I believe there's a truck bearing down on you and you don't believe it, then there's a point where I tackle you. Okay, he understands, even as an atheist, the significance of this message. And if it's true, if we believe it's true, why would we not be out? Overcoming our fear, overcoming any shame, and sharing it. Another thing to remember is that rejection is a Christian norm. It's not unusual for Christians to experience rejection. It ought not be unusual. Look at um, 2 Timothy. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. The Apostle Paul, in writing 2 Timothy, was writing this, this last letter to his, uh, to his precious, precious disciple, Timothy. So the book is packed with the things that were powerfully on Paul's mind. Chapter 1, verse 7 through verse 12. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Paul understood the normalcy of suffering in presenting the Christian gospel, and he went out and he did it anyway. I can't promise you by, by uh, persevering and going out and sharing again and again and experiencing the rejection that the sting of the rejection uh, will reduce. I can't promise you that. But I can promise you that as you do and as people respond, the joy of experiencing the transformation in their life uh, is a great overcomer and a great antidote uh, to, that, to that fear of rejection. I want to read to you from an email. Uh, one of our friends who serves overseas, he's going to be here in a few weeks, wrote this back in March. He refers to the um, people group that he works among. This is a people group of a complete other faith and worldview. He calls them hobbits. So if I say hobbits in reading this, don't, you know, don't, don't misunderstand it. That's the people group that he ministers to. Okay, he says, driving taxis and running hole-in-the-wall restaurants are two main careers of hobbit men. Taxis are expensive. So many of you know it's my custom to go to these restaurants with the hope of sharing the good news while building friendships with these hobbit men. So here's a, three little stories from one day in his life going around and sharing the gospel in this way with the men at the restaurants. Restaurant one, I walk in. Hey, remember me? One man gives a little grunt of acknowledgement and then silence. I say, you guys want to talk about Jesus Christ today? More silence. Then the two guys turn their backs to me and begin to watch TV. I say, okay, well, maybe next week then. And I let myself out. Restaurant number two. After having gone to this restaurant over a period of two weeks, experiencing the same scenario that I just experienced in restaurant one. Hey, can you guess why I'm here? They say, ha ha, you're back. I already told you, we're not allowed to talk about that stuff. And I say, okay, well, I'll pray for you this week. And maybe next week you'll be able to talk then. They say, well, sit down for a minute. At least have a cup of tea. Have you eaten? Then we spend a few hours talking about life and I get to share how I met Christ. Restaurant number three. I say, hey, I brought the book we were talking about. Let's read what Jesus Christ says. They say, sure. He's the, um, they give the, the, the symbol, the cross symbol. 
And he says, yeah, let me show you in the book what that hand motion means. And we get to read about Christ's death, return to life, and his plans to come back. If you remember three years ago, I went to, into a similar restaurant and met a guy, uh, he's, his name he gives here, but who chose to read the book with me after his relatives had rejected me for weeks. After reading through John, he chose to follow Jesus Christ and is still on that path today. Who knows? Perhaps the father has prepared another young man like this, waiting in his restaurant for someone to stop by and say, hey, you want to talk about Jesus Christ today? I had the privilege of spending time with this young man when I was in Thailand in January, and there is story after story after story like this. And he wouldn't really say necessarily that the rejection gets easier, but that, that hope and that wonder and that uh, trust in the power of the gospel keeps him going. And then when you see it actually at work in a life, uh, it, really, it really motivates us and helps us over this issue of, of fear of rejection and, and shame. Thirdly, I would say from, from what we see here that we need to be prepared to communicate the gospel well. I put some scriptures there from some other scriptures from 2 Timothy. If you want to make note of those and look at them later, it's really great to spend time looking at what Paul says about his readiness for his ministry. It's inspiring and it's encouraging to us. We're not going to go into detail on that, but just to say that Paul lived and he taught readiness to share the gospel. So I would ask us today, as we look at this together Am I ready? Are you ready? Ready with the gospel on the, on the tip of our tongue. Ready to share and to be able to do so clearly. Well, as I said, this, this lesson is for believers all about knowing the gospel well and being able to communicate it. Readiness can produce greater eagerness and, and less of that being ashamed or fear of rejection, just like Paul. But you don't have to be an apostle like Paul to, uh, to be ready. You don't have to be a seminary grad to be ready. We can do a lot this morning together to, uh, to increase your preparedness and your readiness with regard to communicating the gospel. So what is the gospel? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, this is a great, great passage, a classic passage on the Bible. Paul, Paul begins in verse 1 identifying that this is the gospel, that that's what he's talking about. In verses 3 and 4 he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures... So he didn't just die, he died for our sins. That he was buried, he was really dead. He really died, he didn't swoon, all these theories and everything. He died for our sins and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he goes on in verses 5 through 8 to present proofs and evidence of the resurrection. Which, as we'll see, is, is, is essential and central to the gospel. So, that's the identification from God's word of kind of what the essence and the meat of the gospel is. In communicating the gospel... We ought to be prepared to be biblical and to be clear and accurate and simple in our presentation of the gospel and how we communicate it. So various methods have been developed. Uh, you are familiar, many of you probably, with various tracts or methods of sharing the gospel. And uh, we're going to look at one of those today. It's based from the study, from the essential study, on Evantel's Bad news, good news. That's the, that's the title or the, the title of the method of sharing the gospel. It's found in these old tracts. Uh, we keep them out in the lobby all the time. The deacons put more out this morning uh, that say, may I ask you a question? That's kind of where, where the, um, this version begins, is, is offering a question to the person. We have these in the office as well. Um, as we look at this, though, I, I, these are always available, but I want to encourage you to commit it to memory and not be reliant upon a tract. 
I want, I want you to be able to remember these points and remember these verses and be able to take your Bible and walk a person through this and be able to share it in a much more personal way where the person can themselves look at the Scripture and, and, and see what it has to say. Now, there are many different people here this morning. Some of you are not believers. You don't buy this. This isn't what you believe. And that's okay. Welcome. We're glad you're here. This is an opportunity for you to understand biblical Christianity, to understand the gospel in the form that, that the Bible presents it, how, to, how a person can know God personally, how a person can have assurance of eternal life with God. And it's not this vague works, maybe try to be good enough. It's something that's very clear and very distinct and very powerful, as we've already looked at. So keep your mind open and just listen. Don't necessarily look at this as me trying to convince you. I just want you to hear what the Bible teaches. And then you can consider it uh, more effectively for yourself. As believers, most of us are people who've already bought into this. We already believe this. Our faith, our trust is already in what we're going to talk about. And that's what I've been setting you up for, basically, is I want us to spend our time getting ready to understand it and, and to share it clearly. If you have another method of evangelism that you've memorized and you know it well, that's fantastic. You may still want to consider this one because uh, of its, its memorability. Um, so, so tune in, pay attention. It's a good opportunity to learn another way of sharing it. And if you're not prepared, again, we're going to try to do this in such a way that you'll walk out of here with a good bit of the outline, a good bit of the material in your head and ready to come out of your mouth so that you can, so that you can share it with other people. So, with this uh, bad news, good news method of sharing the gospel, there is a really basic outline. And if you know the name, you know the outline. So, we're going to do a little talking back and forth, okay? You're going you're to talk with me on some things because we're going to practice this. So, what's the name of the method? Bad news, good news. You know, you know the outline. Bad news, good news. You've already got a big chunk of it memorized. Congratulations. Your training in the bad news, good news method is well underway. Each of those two main points has two subpoints. So there's a total of four main points. Two points of bad news, two points of good news. With each point, there's a verse and an illustration. Uh, pretty simple verses, pretty simple illustrations. The whole method, the whole process, as you're going to see when we go through it, is very simple, very biblical, very memorable. Memorizable, if that's a word. I put memorizable on there and had a red squiggly line under it, so I don't think it's really a word. It's memorable. It's easy to remember. And I want you to be able to have some grasp on it as, as you leave here this morning. It's one reason why we chose uh, this method. So, the bad news. The first two points of bad news. The bad news of separation. Okay, point number one, you are a sinner. You are a sinner. The Bible teaches that we are all sinful. The key verse is Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Say that with me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. Many of you already know this verse, so you know the verse for point one, okay? The idea is that we're all sinful, so you need to talk about what is sin. Now, there's some verses there on the slide, and in the lesson, there's a question about sin, and you, you, can, you can wrestle with this a little bit. The simplest explanation of what is sin that I want to give you this morning is, is uh, the phrase missing the mark, okay? Missing the mark. What's the mark? Okay? I, I brought it up already. In lesson one, we talked about God's perfection, God's holiness, his absolute perfection. That's the mark. If we are all sinners, can we attain that mark? No, we miss the mark. By our sinfulness, we miss the mark. We can't attain that mark of God's perfection. And in order, as I said, in order to be in relationship with him, 
We've got to somehow solve that problem because he's perfect and we're not. The illustration that is in the uh, study guide, uh, it's a little bit different in the little tract, but they're very similar. The illustration is swimming the ocean. If we're standing on the Atlantic Ocean shore looking towards Europe and I say, let's swim to Europe, that's the mark. Are we going to make the mark? Not likely, unless you're a really, really good swimmer. I'm not that good a swimmer. You'll probably go farther than I will. But regardless of our performance, regardless of how good we are, regardless of how hard we try, we're going to miss the mark. We're sinful. We can't attain to God's mark of perfection. It's bad news, right? Pretty bad news for the human condition. It gets worse. The second point of the bad news is that sin's penalty is death. Now, the verse... It's just a portion of Romans 6.23. It's 6.23a. You can see we'll we'll use b later. But the verse is, for the wages of sin is death. Can you all say that with me? For the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. It goes on to say the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the good news. We're going to get to that in a second. But this little phrase, this little part of the verse is really, really, really important. We have to talk about what is death. And once again... I've put the scriptures from the question in the lesson. If you've done the lesson, you've wrestled with this. But it's this idea of spiritual death. Okay, we're all going to die physically at some point in our lives. The statistics on death are impressive. One one out of one. So physical death is not really the issue we're talking about here. We're talking about eternal separation from God. We're talking about spiritual death. The spiritual death of not being in relationship with the God who created us. Both now in this life and for all of eternity. And when we cross over into physical death, and if if we're still in a state of spiritual death, it's done. Okay? And so, the wages of sin, the verse says, is death. The illustration is very simple. What is a wage? Something you earn. Right? Okay? So, it's basically saying, by sinning, you earn death. That is what the Bible teaches. Okay? By sin... By sinning, we earn spiritual death. That's, That's the result. That's what we receive as a result of our sin. Bad news. Really bad now, right? Well, now the news gets better. Point three, or the first point of the good news, we're going to look at the the, the good news in two points, is that Christ died for you and was resurrected. This is really good news. The key verse is Romans 5, 8. Say this with me. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. Incredibly good news there. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Chip read that passage from Ephesians 2 in the beginning. uh, Verses 1 through 7 is all about our horrible state in sin, but God being rich in mercy and all the amazing things that he accomplished on our behalf. In discussing it, you need to be able to talk about what does died for us mean? This is the idea of Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice or his substitutionary atonement. There's some uh, passages. Let's look at 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 2.24, it says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus took our sin upon himself. He died in our place. The punishment for our sin, that death, he died for us. Now the illustrations here, uh, there's an illustration in the study guide. The illustrations really fall short on this one because human illustrations don't fully grasp what God did 
on our behalf. But the illustration uh, of the judge that's in the study guide uh, is good. It's as if this righteous, just judge, he has to uphold the just measure of the law. And you are before him and you have been convicted of murder. And the just sentence is death. And so he pronounces the just sentence upon you. That is what you deserve. He pronounces that that sentence upon you, but then he as the judge steps down, takes off his robe, and he goes to die in your place, or he sends his son to die in your place. It's a pretty good illustration of what this substitutionary sacrifice of what what Jesus did on our behalf. Another one from the tract, if you use that as the incurable disease, if you have cancer in your body, you have cells in your body that are attacking your body and they're killing you. If there was some way in which I could take those cancer cells upon myself and receive them in my body, what would happen to me? I would die. What would happen to you? You would live. So Jesus took upon himself the thing that was causing our death and gave us life. Good illustrations. God solves the sin problem. But before we go there to the fourth point, I found this in our uh, our church doctrinal statement. I think it's a really good summation of, of where we are right now. Our church, the Constitution is a really, really rich theological document. document. And, and it's, just, it's a fascinating thing to go and study, and the scripture references are there. It's available online. This is about what Jesus did. We believe that Jesus Christ accomplished our redemption through his death on the cross as a vicarious uh, substitutionary sacrifice. Those kind of just define each other. And that our redemption is made sure by his literal, physical resurrection from the dead. That last part of the good news, the resurrection, when Jesus rose from the, from the dead, he demonstrated that, that death and sin and hell were defeated once and for all. And that life is, is alive in the gospel. And that life is alive in us when we, as Christians, walk by faith. When we walk according to the spirit, the power of the resurrection in us. Uh, it's a beautiful, inextricable part of the gospel. And the last point, the news gets extremely good, okay? You can have this. You can have this in your own life. You can be saved through faith in Christ. Now, there are some key verses in Romans, and I put them up there because some of you all know the Roman road. It's like all the verses are from Romans. It's a little bit easier to memorize. But our key verse that we're going to use is from the passage that Chip read this morning. is from Ephesians 2. Let's read this together. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And we have verse 10 in there. That's the for we are his workmanship. The idea there is, you know, good works. People, people are wrestling with good works as part of the gospel. What God intended is that by faith in Christ, he would work this new thing in us. He would save us so that we could be producers of good works. It's not good works that make us right before God. God enables good, through, good works through us, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's by grace, through faith, not works, that this becomes real in the life of a human being. Faith in what? You need to talk about that. And I had the whole passage from Ephesians 2 read, as I said earlier, because verses 1 through 7, they give the gospel. Our deadness in sin, what Jesus did on our behalf. And then Paul says, first by grace you've been saved through faith. Through faith in this. Faith, faith in what? Faith in what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. What is Faith. I like the word trust, as you can see on the slide there. Uh, I think it's a simpler word for most people today because faith kind of has a lot of religious baggage. It can can sort of be weakened by the way some people use it. But trust, and, and this goes to the illustration of the chair. Most of us exhibit a tremendous amount of trust in something very simple every day. 
is how many times during the day will you flop your body down on a chair? Okay, you're taking a risk. If it was not reliable, what would happen? You'd tumble, you'd spill, you'd hurt yourself, you could break your neck. You're putting trust in that chair. You're relying upon that chair to hold you up. Okay, trust in Christ. Trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross is the idea of shifting our dependence from our good works, from our church membership, from our Americanism, whatever it is that we're relying on to somehow be good enough, it's going to miss the mark. We've got to shift our trust from those things that we're trying to do, whatever our concept of getting to God is, and shift our trust onto Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the God-man, and what he did on our behalf. When we shift our trust onto him, when we trust fully in what he did, we become a believer in Jesus Christ. We are saved. We are in relationship with God, abundant life in the present, eternal life with him. That's the gospel. So, what do we do with that? Okay, you've explained this to a person. You're in that conversation with a person. This is the invitation of biblical Christianity's good news. What I just said. By trusting in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. John 3, 16. uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have everlasting life. Shall not, will have everlasting life. 1 John 5, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Biblical Christianity, the gospel of Jesus Christ promises the good news that you can know that you will have that abundant life with God in the present and that eternal life with him in heaven. We're going to talk more about eternal security. How do we know for sure? Next week in the lesson. But that's the good news. So what do you do with this information? You've got a person there. You've talked about the good news. Well, from the, um, from the training that Evantel did, the people who wrote this, uh, this good news, bad, bad news, good news track, they have a really good transition from your, your conversation about the gospel to a person's response. And I really like this. They suggest you say, if you finished explaining the gospel, what I've just explained to you, and you say, is there anything keeping you from trusting in Christ right now? That's a really great question because it gets the person to think about where they are and what's going on in their life. It gets them to get really, really personal about it and apply it to themselves. And if they say yes, don't be offensive or belligerent or whatever, but take out a piece of paper and say, okay, tell me. And write those things down so you can remember them. And then talk to them about each of those things. Okay, because going back to the quote from Penn Gillette a while ago, as you begin to go over those things that might be hindrances to them believing in Christ, they'll begin to look pretty small and insignificant compared to the magnitude and the glory and the power of the gospel and that amazing news that we can know that we have eternal life. So you write down and you discuss the objections and you ask again, is there anything now keeping you from putting your faith in Christ? And when they say no, you say, let's pray together and let's tell God. That you receive this gift through trust in Christ. Notice the focus is not on the prayer. The prayer is not what saves you. So often in our little methods and everything in our evangelism, we get wrapped up in the prayer or walking the aisle of these things. Those are works. (laughs) It's trust in Christ. And the prayer is just a beautiful opportunity to walk them through how to pray and how to tell God, thank you. I receive that gift. I stake my life on this. I want to follow you. You've made me now a workmanship to do good works. That's what I want to do with my life. So it's a great opportunity to to, to lead them into prayer. Okay, before we wrap up, I want to back up to the beginning for just a second. What are some ways to transition a conversation into the gospel? 
into the good news. This isn't really in the lesson. This is really, again, from the training that Evantel did. But um, you want to look for opportunities in conversation to, to change the subject, if you will. Because in the non-spiritual conversation, for example, many non-spiritual, you know, you're in a conversation with somebody on an airplane. You're not really probably talking about spiritual things necessarily. Sometimes God really works and that happens. But for example, last year, year or two ago, I was flying up to Denver and I was on the plane with a young man who was being deployed in about a month to Afghanistan. He was fearful. He was anxious. He was struggling with that fear and that anxiety. Well, that need, that problem for him pointed to a lack of, of understanding that God was there and could be there with him. And so we were able to transition the conversation. Turns out he was a believer. He didn't really know that he could know uh, based on his faith in Christ, but he really, really believed that Jesus died on the cross for his sins. But he was, he was in a different non-spiritual situation, and we were able to translate, transfer that in, into a spiritual conversation. Great way to transfer a conversation from the non-spiritual to the spiritual is when a person, is, whatever's going on in the conversation, may I pray for you? Family and I went to um, Colorado at spring break. And I was sitting on a ski lift with an 86-year-old gentleman. 86 years old, and he was still skiing. That's pretty amazing. Um, and it just, you know, wasn't really, I was really looking for that opportunity. I just said, can I pray for you? And for, so for the last few minutes that we were together, because I had taken that opportunity to just pray for him and pray for God's blessing on his life, the conversation turned spiritual. We were able to talk about these things. Spiritual conversation is a little bit easier to transition because you're already on spiritual topics. What's interesting there is that most spiritual conversations, people don't really realize that, that they may not know Christ, <laughs> that God is not in their lives. And so they're trying to deal with the spiritual problem. We have many people come into the office for counseling because their marriage is falling apart or they're struggling with a colleague at work or any number of these problems and they want to come and get spiritual insight into the problem. They don't know Christ. They don't have God in their lives to work on that problem. And so often we have to get the conversation, the spiritual conversation, back around to the gospel and the need uh, that we all have to know God and to have that abundant life with him. The illustrative moment. Okay, I love this. This is great with kids. Um, I've asked my sweet daughter Katie's permission to share this story. She's 14 now and a beautiful young lady. But when she was six, five, four, four years old. See, daddy doesn't remember these things too well. A little blonde, curly-headed, little cherub. She was so precious. And I remember that um, I, was, I was in a bathroom. There was a mirror here. And I was standing at the sink. And the doorway was back here. And she was in the doorway. And we were having a, um, a little father-daughter moment, a disciplinary you know, interaction. This, this, I can't remember what it was. But I, I made the statement, whatever it was, that she didn't like to hear. And I looked in the mirror. And I could see her behind me. And I don't know if she was just not understanding that I could see her. But she goes... This is very uncharacteristic for, for my little girl. And I, I, I think she, she realized, she saw my face, and my face fell. It's very hurtful to me that she would do that. She'd never done anything like that before. And the realization came over her, and she melted into a puddle of tears. And it was a great opportunity at that moment to talk about shame and sin and forgiveness and God's grace and so from her, from her hurt over the realization of the wrong that she had done and how she had hurt the heart of her father, okay, and we talked about hurting the heart of our father God, that was the day that Katie placed her faith in Christ. She understood the gospel as a result of that conversation. It was a moment where something was just happening in life. God gave me the insight for that moment 
in spite of myself, to see the the moment there. And and look for those. Look for those. There are great moments in living life and among your colleagues, among your family. Look for those opportunities and use them uh, to transition to the gospel. Okay, running out of time. Your personal testimony. This is your story. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and he's changed your life, talking about it is one of the best ways to begin a conversation and, and to share the gospel in the ways that we've talked about. I'm not going to go into detail on this. This is in the study. My notes are going to be online. It's very simple. My life before knowing Christ, how I came to trust in Christ, my life after trusting Christ. The passages from Acts 22 are Paul's testimony, basically. This is a great little outline to follow. You can put your own story in there. In a very short time, you have it memorized. And then in congruence with what we've just been talking about, you, you've got your ability to share the gospel. So what do we do with this? How do we bring this home? I told you, I've been struggling with this and wrestling with this and appreciating it anew. And even as a pastor, okay, I've just been realizing in the last few months, last year or two, really, uh, I, I do my, my religious thing at work and then, you know, I kind of go out and, and do other things. I want us all to be challenged by this message this morning myself included, uh, that there are opportunities, there are people who need to know out there. And we want to tackle the person and get them out of the way of the truck, as Penn Gillette was talking about. There are opportunities to share. So I want to challenge us. Before school starts in August, look at these things. Let's, let's do this challenge together as an application. Write out and learn your testimony. Very simple. I just showed you the outline. It's a simple thing to do. Write out and learn your testimony. Practice sharing the gospel. Practice this method or whatever method is most familiar to you. Get to where it's very easy and and smooth for you to talk about it. To go to the scripture and show people. Not to be reliant upon a tract. Share the good news with someone. Look for those opportunities. And speak up and share the good news. It's good news. They need to know it. We need to get over our fear and share the good news. And then we're about discipleship in this church. We're about teaching and training others. Take an opportunity this summer to take what we've talked about this morning, maybe somebody who's not here, somebody in a small group, a, a disciple, a less mature Christian friend of yours, and teach them how to share it. It'll really reinforce what you've learned and what you've taught yourself. The last point of application, I think, is probably the most significant this morning. I began, I didn't begin, somewhere in the middle I was talking about who all is here. Some of you, you haven't grasped this this morning. This is maybe the first time that it's really become clear. Or maybe you're wrestling with it anew. I want to ask you that question. Is there anything that's keeping you from trusting Christ right now? If it's your desire to shift your trust from other worldly things that you've been relying upon. And shift your trust onto reliance upon what Jesus Christ did on the cross. On your behalf and his resurrection. I want to invite you to, uh, if you're believing that. If you're hearing what what I'm saying and you're saying that's it. Then I want to invite you to pray with me right now until God. And then I'll conclude uh, for the rest of us in prayer. Let's pray. If, you, uh, if you've believed, if you've understood this for the first time and you've believed, uh, maybe in your heart, as I pray these words, this would be a prayer that uh, you could pray something like this. Dear, dear Lord God, thank you. Thank you for the understanding from your word this morning that, that first of all, there is bad news and I'm a sinner and, and I can't do things right enough to know you. Thank you for helping me to realize that. And thank you for helping me to realize that Jesus Christ, your son, died on the cross so that sin's penalty could be paid on my behalf. He died for me. Thank you that Jesus died for me. Thank you that he rose again. I believe in that. I put my trust 
in the work of Jesus Christ this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow that, uh, that new work, uh, that workmanship in Christ to do good works, to be true in my life, that I will go forth and I'll serve you and I'll honor you. Lord, I give myself to you to follow you in that way. Thank you for the gift of Christ on my behalf. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I encourage you to, to share that with someone, with me or with someone that you came with and, uh, and begin a new walk with him. Father, I thank you for this time in your word. I thank you for the clarity of your word. I thank you that, uh, that John wrote those words that uh, we who believe in the name of the Son of God may know that we have eternal life. Thank you for your gospel. I pray for each one of us here, myself included, that we would be inspired and encouraged by the power and the comprehensiveness of your gospel to be bold, to be unashamed, to be eager, to share it with those around us. And uh, Lord, as you provide those opportunities, may we, may we be faithful to share and to glorify you. So Lord, enable us, we pray, as we go out from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Please join us uh, at 1230, which is very soon. In the fireside room back there, if you want to run out and get some food and join us to hear more from the Martins. And uh, God bless you as you go this morning and serve him.